so Dominic turned six on Halloween, and we were really excited. Um, Halloween was kind of rainier than we had hoped. We actually had a, we had a Halloween birthday party for him, and friends came over, and we actually did trick-or-treating in the house. And so we had some parents go up upstairs and go in the doors so the kids could knock on the doors. Anyway, so it was, it was nice. And so before then, before birthday, people were like, what do you think Dominic wants? What do you think? And so Alina would give a different answer than I would. It was good. She had, she had good answers, but I would always say Legos every time. <laughs> he loves Legos. And he does. He likes them, but I also like Legos. <laughs> I, I enjoy them. I like I like following instructions and putting things together and, and seeing it. And I love, I, I love putting IKEA furniture together. I love having this thing and then you have this box, this like flat box. And they're like, don't worry, it's going to be a bed. And it's like, how is this going to be a bed? And then you put it together, it's a bed. It's like, wow. And there's never any words because it's Scandinavian. It's all pictures and arrows. And so you have to infer what's going on. But I, I love that. I love following the instructions. I love getting there. I love clear instructions. They're amazing. They're amazing. Clear instructions are fantastic. Uh, the Bible is not an instruction manual. I think this is one of the, the first misconceptions that is often had with, with the Bible, is that it's presented as this, okay, you just, just read the Bible and you'll figure it all out. Um, which, you know, it's, the second question is like, well, which Bible? <laughs> figure what out? What's, what's going on? Um, it was not intended to be an instruction manual. It's never this, like, okay, here you go. You're going to solve this, and then at the end, you're going to have a bed or a plane or a spaceship or something like that. You look at a Lego book, and there's a step-by-step guide, and you get the end results. And then, you know, like, okay, we're going to build a plane. At the end of it, you have a plane, and yay, you can play with a plane. Or, you know, you have a bed. It's like, yes, we can play with a bed. This is awesome. But the Bible, again, is not a step-by-step guide. There's a lot of different genres in it. Uh, there's, there's histories and poetry and, and, and law and letters and apocalypses. It's, it's amazing. But, but there are not steps. There's not, you don't start on page one and then you'll get, automatically get to the same conclusion. If everybody started on page one of the Bible and we just kept on reading, first of all, it'd be kind of like one of those, like a marathon to see who can just keep reading the longest. And then it'd be like we'd all probably get a little different out of it. It'd be slightly different. There is an end result of the Bible. The end result is life with God, but it doesn't come with this easy to handle steps. What is the Bible? That is the question we're going to be talking about here for the next few weeks. Bible itself can be a hollow signifier. Bible means book. It literally means book. Um, Everybody usually comes to the Bible with a different past experience. If you grew up Baptist, you come with a different experience. If you grew up Catholic, it comes with a different experience and expectation. Depending on which Methodist church you came from, it's different. If you didn't grow up Christian at all, it's completely different. And so we can't just assume that everybody around us has the same idea of what this book is, of what is going on. What is the Bible? So often in, in Bible studies, we can look at specific books. We can have a study on a specific book or a specific, specific section. We have sermons on different scriptures. But most of the times, there is not this space to talk about what the Bible is. There's not a lot of time to have the meta question, the question beyond the question. It's like, what is this? And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about precisely that. Mike began with the first reading from 2 Timothy. 
And each of the next few weeks, we're going to look at this, this same reading, have the same reading from 2 Timothy, and look at three different key words. The Bible is sacred, the Bible is God-breathed or inspired, and the Bible is sufficient. Today, we're going to talk about the Bible is sacred. But sacred, the Bible is holy. In the United Methodist Church Book of Discipline, which is our organizing document, it's one of those, if you ever are worried about falling asleep, it's a really good book to kind of read before bed. Um, there's a lot of paragraphs, but the beginning part, the theological section, is really good. And so this is what it shares about Scripture. It says, United Methodists share with other Christians the conviction that Scripture is the primary source and criterion for Christian doctrine. Through Scripture, the living Christ meets us in the experience of redeeming grace. We are convinced that Jesus Christ is the living word of God in our midst, whom we trust in life and in death. The biblical authors illumined by the Holy Spirit bear witness that in Christ the world is being reconciled to God. Now I find that very beautiful. Um, a very beautiful it's hard to speak concisely about something that is so large and so important in our life. Um, the articles of religion in the United Methodist Church also talk about the Bible um, and mention the books. And this is important because even though the United Methodist Church is a kind of a democratic body, we've talked about general conference next year and how they're going to be voting on on certain things, but you can't vote out the Bible. There can't be a resolution that says, okay, we're going to now just stop paying attention to the Bible. Um, they really can't, it really, it just can't happen, um, which I think is a good thing, because I don't, I don't really trust the General Conference delegates that much, and so it's good that there's some <laughs> limits on what they can do. Our Bible is, is mentioned in the, in the um, Articles of Religion and specific, specifying the specific books, and our Bible comes from the Protestant Reformation in a way, because it limits the, the Old Testament to the books of the Masoretic text. So this is, we're going to start getting super technical really quickly, so this is good, it's important. Um, <laughs> so the Masoretic text comes from the 9th century, and it's the Hebrew. It's the Hebrew with all the dots, and if you want to come up and look at what Hebrew looks like, it's really important to even just have an idea of this. This is different from modern Hebrew. And so modern Hebrew comes about in the, 19, in the early 20th century, trying taking from Biblical Hebrew. But... The Catholic Bible comes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. And it has a few extra books in it. It has the 1st and 2nd Maccabees, but it also has like a longer Jeremiah. There's more chapters of Jeremiah in the Septuagint than in, than in the Hebrew. And here's the quirky thing. That's why I said the Masoretic text is from the 9th century AD. The Septuagint is from the 2nd century BC. And so the Greek Old Testament is almost a century older than the Hebrew Old Testament even though it was originally written in Hebrew. But the Protestant reformers wanted to stay away from Catholics, and so they went with the Hebrew version instead of the Greek. And that's why in the Methodist Church, our Bible doesn't, doesn't have the wisdom of Solomon and these other books. You know, you scratch the surface a little bit, and there's an entirely different world to emerge. I thought, like, whoa, like, you know, it's hard for me to process, and I've been studying this for a long time, like to process even just the dates of what's going on. And it, but it's so easy to stay on the surface of platitudes, to stay on the surface of assumptions that the Bible is this, the, you know, the Bible is King James, or whatever was translated is fine, etc. Um, but God's love is being revealed in so, so much of the complexity of what's going on. So we're talking about what is sacred. The Greek word in this Second Timothy is iera grammata. It's holy words, holy scriptures. Words that are set apart. They should be separated from the other books that we have. They should not be read in the same way as other texts. They should not be touched in the same way as other texts. As well, interior, 
in our, in our Bible, in the Gospel of John and Revelation, it talks about not adding anything. It says, don't, do not add another word to this. And in Revelation, it says, don't add another iota, which iota is a little bitty. It's like if you have like an inverted comma, just imagine that, but even smaller. And so you take an inverted comma and you put it under a letter. That's an iota. And so it's really easy if you're reading something to, to kind of skim over it. Just like if you, know, you get a, if you get a thank you note from someone, sometimes you don't see they dot the I. And that's the kind of thing. Sometimes I don't dot the I. <laughs> and then, you know, you're just writing along and you forget to go back. You're writing along and you go back. But it's, Revelation says not one iota should be missing from this book. This is different. This is not just a haphazard kind of sharing with people. As well, the original languages of the scriptures are not English. It's, it's very different from English. It's Hebrew and common Greek and even a little Aramaic in the book of Daniel. Common Greek is really, um, it's really important because that's one of those things that's often such lost in translation. You have the very regal King James Bible, which is such beautiful English. But the Greek of the New Testament is kind of coarse. It's like if you remember the musical My Fair Lady. The Greek of the New Testament is much more like Eliza Doolittle than Henry Higgins. It's, it's much more of a cockney. It's not, we're not talking, this is not the language of kings and scribes. It's the language of fishermen and shepherds. They're talking to each other. They're telling the story directly. They're not flowering it up with lots of language. As well, there's Syriac manuscripts that are older than the Greek manuscripts. So not even the earliest Greek manuscripts are the earliest texts we have of, of the New Testament. As well, any manuscript before the 15th century, you know, did it have a printing press. So there was these scribal errors that happens. And so you imagine you're sitting there nine hours a day with a candle going like this, writing out. And so you have one manuscript, and then you write out another one. And so most of the errors are basically like skipping a letter, or doubling a word, or omitting a word. And so most of the errors that happen in that way, but then you have a text that has, it's not the exact same. And so, so scholars, like over the last 500 years, scholars have been trying to organize all these manuscripts. They all have funky character names um, for them, but in trying to figure out what's a more authentic way. But all this is to say is that you should not feel that you need to be fluent in Hebrew and Greek to be a Christian. You don't need to. The point of being a Christian is not that you have to, everyone has to go to seminary. Everyone has to have, be, have knowledge of this thing. Because translation is found everywhere. Every time, as, as one of my teachers said, every time we interpret, we translate in a way. Any interpretation is a translation of one thought from another. But we must remember where these books come from. The people who wrote these books, the people who lived these stories, do not talk or sound like anyone today. And yet God is here. And yet God is here. Modern editors and translators make decisions on which manuscripts to use, there's no complete text from the first century of Paul's hands. There's no like, and I, Paul, doing this. There's no complete gospel of that. It's moving, it's putting them together. And I say all this, and know it's a lot, it's a flood of information. And that's part of the part. It's a flood of information, not to shatter, shatter your world about what the Bible is. Because the Bible is not less because it is complicated. In many ways, it is more because it is complicated. The holiness of the Bible is not based on a one-to-one transmission from God. That is what the Quran is. That is what the Book of Mormon is. It claims to be that this prophet received this, this word from an angel directly. That is not what is, what is going on here. As another teacher says, the Bible is not a book of oracles. It is genuine witness. 
The Bible is a free gift to us. We call it the Old Testament and the New Testament, but so often it's used, we forget the word testament comes from testimony. There's a testimony. There's an older testimony and a newer testimony of God for us. That is what is going on here. It's a free gift. It is holy to us. As well, the book of Discipline says the Bible bears authentic testimony to God's self-disclosure in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as in God's work in creation, in the pilgrimage of Israel, and in the Holy Spirit's ongoing activity in human history. But we can't leave it just at the what. We cannot leave it objectively distant from ourselves. The Bible doesn't exist apart from the people called to worship God. We need the how. We how to read it. And we must admit always that when we talk about this book, acknowledge that it has been abused in the past. It has been used as a tool of abuse for many people. It still is used as a tool for abuse. God's holy words have been twisted to control others, to punish others. Humans have used them to justify atrocities in the name of God. So even just having the what, even knowing that this is a book set apart, doesn't make it enough. But for me, it comes back to what goes on here. What does the Bible do? It discloses the God that is love in this world. It discloses the God that is love in this world. And as St. Augustine says, if it seems to you that you have understand the divine scriptures or any part of them in such a way that by this understanding you do not build up this twin love of God and neighbor, then you have not understood them. Like our reading for today, when, when Jesus is asked by the scribe, what is the most important law? And he responds with a Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. What Augustine says is that when we read the Bible, if we are not getting that love of God, if we are not giving that love of neighbor, it's, it's on us. It's not on God. And I think that a lot of that sometimes when I read like the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And if you look at that, and it was like, and then Abraham begets such and such, and begets such, a, and Eliakim, and Eliakim begets such and such, and a blah, da, 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 and Aminadab. I love that name, Aminadab. You don't see a lot of Aminadabs today. But, you know, or in the, the, the book First Chronicles, which is 14 chapters of genealogies. Um, it's a lot of genealogies. Uh, but to be like, okay, how can I see the, the love of God and the love of neighbor here? God, give me the patience. To receive your wisdom here. God, give me the patience to not be so arrogant that I can be the one to pick and choose, to cut out. Help me to be formed by this. And so when we remember that, we read them, comes back to the God who reveals God's self to us in love. And we can enter into this brave new world of the Bible in the community of faith. That again, this book was not, is not, doesn't, does not exist apart from a people called to worship the triune God. It does not exist in the separate reality from a people who read it and authentically see Jesus being revealed and respond in love. That is what's so important about the saints in our lives. Is the saints are the people that remind us how we can respond to God being revealed in the scriptures. That just because someone has abused this book in the past does not mean it has to be abused. But that we can see life here. The Bible is not a factory that produces Christians. It is where God is being revealed. As Martin Luther called it, it is the swaddling clothes wherein Jesus is laid. Swaddling clothes, remember, are pretty messy. When a baby is born, there's lots of gook 
and you swallow them up with the gook. But that's what the Bible, the Bible can, gives us, is where Jesus is presented to us. The Bible is not a tool of social control. It is a gift. It is an offering. The Bible is not a weapon. It is a space to enter in where God is being disclosed. Even when we are being confused, it is a space where God is being disclosed. At another place, St. Augustine says, that it is good that there are confusing parts in Scripture. He says, this, he says this because if Scripture was too simple, we would think we figured out what was going on and we had understood who God is. We would not stop looking for God. But instead, God gives us these confusing passages so that we will return to again and again because that is what we need. We need to return to love again and again. We don't need to get to a point in our life where we're like, okay, I've, I've given enough love in my life. I'm done. I've figured it out. And I can go back to being selfish. Instead, that we're continually being renewed to look outward, to share outward, to give outward. In the same way, I do not come back to Ikea instructions after the table is built, right? I don't come back to the Legos after we have the plane. We have the plane. We play with the plane. We return to the Bible again and again because God is infinitely disclosing God's self to us here. And we must hold together threads of how the Bible makes us feel, of how we know it's been used in the past, how we know it gives us joy in one passage and we may be afraid in another passage, how we can see God, the God of love being revealed in Jesus Christ and then look at another passage and see the wars and the violence of Second Kings and Joshua or the laws of Leviticus, how these can be read together. How can we read these together? Because in holding them together, the tapestry of God is revealing God's love to us. You are loved. Here are words that show this. You are loved. Here are words that say this. You are loved. These words are different. They are not like other words you receive. They are not like other words you say. Here is a treasure for you. Here is a lifetime. Dig a little. Start with a psalm. Start with a gospel. Start with Philippians. Read it. Try it. Share it. Read it again. God is here for you. Share it. God is here for others. Enjoy it. Take pleasure in the word of God for you, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that God compels us here not to live for ourselves. God compels us not to be satisfied with ourselves. Live it. God reveals the meaning of life for us here. The meaning of life that we are not the center of the universe, but we are continually being called to give of ourselves for others by the God who created us. And that the brokenness of this world, the brokenness that we see all the time, the brokenness that we are reminded of this day, November 11th, a hundred years after World War I ended, there were 3,000 people were killed on November 11th, 1918, before armistice, before the peace was signed. The last person who was killed was at 10.59 a.m. They kept on fighting. There was an American general who sent his troops over the line one last time because he didn't trust the Germans. A hundred years ago. This is a broken world. And yet God is revealed here. There is hope for us, not in ourselves, not in the way that we are going to figure it all out, but in the way that God is calling us to something more. God is calling us to a life beyond abuse. God is calling us to a life beyond our preconceptions, beyond our assumptions, where we humbly seek 
the God who is love and are sent to show that love in this world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.